what's up and welcome back to nostalgia best of 2022 my name is patchy and joined by my trusty co-host dave martin swagger dave how was the year in tv in 2022 pretty good i think we hit the peak of ptv this year specifically spring 2022 when there was too many notable television productions out at one time it was just impossible to watch everything and things fell through the cracks and got ignored and didn't get the time they deserved and i think now with the economic climate changing and the uh, business of streaming switching priorities a little bit i think we're going to see a a lesser volume of scripted television series in the short term and Maybe how long it takes that to manifest. Maybe it's not for another two years. I don't know, but I think it, it'll be noticeable. I feel like this was kind of like the last grasp of or gasp of the uh, era we just had. So it's all all downhill from here, is what you're saying? <laughs> Perhaps you never know. Not yeah. Really good. It was it was a good year. A lot a lot of good stuff for sure. Really strong TV year. I definitely love the love my top ten. I really like my. 10 through 20 as well. You know, there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. And it's funny because if you look at a lot of year end lists, there's so many shows that we just didn't even have the chance to get to things like reservation dogs or uh, Abbott elementary come to mind as things that are seem to be universally critically loved. And we just have not been able to get to based on all the other things that we get to. So if you want to view all those things we get to though, hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod. Um, yeah, when you think about the year in TV, and, you, and as you said, back in the spring, felt like the peak of, of peak TV in a way. What, what do you think will be the thing that you remember most from this year in television? Huh, you know, I think in the beginning of the year, I probably would have said the uh, drama series based off a real life figure slash criminal slash grifter. We had so many oh. of them at one time, right? You had the dropout about Elizabeth Holmes. We crashed about we work and inventing Anna and the staircase, you know, which is more true crimey and uh the the Uber one as well on Showtime with Kyle Chandler. Like there were so many of those shows all at one time and it felt like that was like this huge bubble. But then I think I don't know, probably like this was a huge year of blockbuster T V, right? Mm. Stranger Things return after several years. Andor, House of the Dragon, Rings of Power, you know? Just a, a lot of big, big heavy hitters, a lot of hyped up stuff, big ratings hits like Euphoria as well. Like I feel like we just had a lot of top line, big names this year too. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think for me, my most anticipated shows of the year were definitely the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, and the House of Dragons, uh, Game of Thrones prequel that were kind of going head to head and and dropping, you know, just a few weeks apart from each other. And we had these two like epic stories with uh, amazing production value and CGI coming into it. And in looking at my, my list and what I ended up having near the top, um, nothing really beats just good writing. If it seems, you know, like (laughs) as I'm looking through, it's like the more that it felt like the writers had, uh, an idea, a message that was clear and concise. Um, and then obviously a lot of this is also paired up with just top notch filmmaking, which is just now become par for the course in peak TV. It's like, yeah, stories are 
always going to be the heart of these things it feels like even though it's a visual medium the story is a lot of times what i find myself enjoying most and uh, i'm excited to talk about the shows that we have up here um you know in in 2022 as we're thinking about like what the year meant in television did you have anything that stood out as like a biggest surprise good or bad for you huh oh i think recently a uh, big surprise was everything that's happened like economically with hbo mm. max warner brothers discovery specifically but also slightly elsewhere where like we're seeing series get removed from there's yes their, their services not just the show canceled or not continued but the series itself no longer available and you're you're seeing the uglier side of the new normal which is the back end for actors and producers has been switched to now just like the general payment when stuff is on the service to speak super broadly and now in certain situations like you're seeing with warner right now with this 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 fiscal year they'd rather save the money and and delete something from their main offering and offer it some other way and that's even applying to something super big like Westworld, right? So um, that's not going to always be the case. Um, if you get into like, the economic like nitty-gritty of how these things work. But that was definitely something that uh, shocked me because I just never really saw something like that coming. You know, it's like this is something you already paid for. And a lot of times you were the only producer of too. So there's mm-hmm. very little cooks in the kitchen with the finances. And yet this is still what you decided to do you know like i said the economics are changing but uh yeah any, any like i guess more interesting surprises come to mind for you man the creative side of things i don't know like like i said i think just the the litany of blockbusters this year and i didn't even mention like obi-wan or westworld like there was so much big stuff but um i mean what what stood out to you beyond the really uh overwhelming glut of shows in the spring yeah i i think what stood out for me was just i think this maybe is more for my viewing habits just how much i ended up um consuming hbo and like these main ones and and not getting to some of these like smaller hits like i I didn't feel like a lot of shows like came out of nowhere this year to really grab me And, and that might just be that because of the amount of shows we can't we really had to pick and choose and you know the ones that kind of pop up by the time that we could get around to them, it didn't make sense to watch to talk about. Um, but even things like like Rami on FX just kind of dropped, right? Like there was very little fanfare around a show that's gotten a ton of acclaim in the past. And it's like, there's just so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it feels almost like, uh, I don't want to say unsustainable because, you know, it's there's, there's viewers out there that keep making these shows. You know, a show like Wednesday comes to mind, which kind of just dropped here at the end of the year and people are just loving and the experience of it but it's like take that how do you keep further. this is like what less than two months after Dahmer came out on netflix mm-hmm. as well these are two of the biggest series launches in the history of netflix and they both just happened <laughs> you know and these are happening in the same year where rami seems to come and go gaslit on stars a mm-hmm. julia roberts sean penn watergate show <laughs> gets no oxygen at all it, it, and then somehow a Adams family redux with Jenna Ortega completely captures and defines the zeitgeist. You know, it's like you you never quite know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's just so hard to keep up with everything. I think the other the other like 
like positive surprise for me in in a lot of ways is the fact that we have a show that feels like it's moving into the office parks and rec uh, territory with Abbott Elementary, which is really exciting to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, like it's going to be Abbott Elementary will be an Emmy's darling moving forward. Um, the the yep, showrunner creator who I is you know, for, yes, Kenta Brunson. Thank you. It's just like prime to be a creator that's in the zeitgeist for the foresee foreseeable future. But just having a show like that um, is something that will be a talking point for many people moving forward. And and I say that as, as people that consume probably more TV than the average person. Um, Abbott Elementary is something that will be shared among more people in my life than typical, which would be fun to talk about. And definitely a show over the winter break that I want to catch up on. I started watching a little bit back in... Uh, Back in March, actually, right before my wedding, didn't have a chance to stick with it, but it's a show that's on my radar for sure. But I'm, I'm just excited about that. I'm excited about the the breadth, breadth. I can't say that word very well of of stories that are being told. You know, looking through my list, there's some of some typical stories on here, but more diverse stories. Um, you know, to spoil a little bit, like Pachinko is in my top ten and was one of my favorite stories to follow this year. And it's not a story that I feel like I've typically gotten to see told on TV and the way that it was told with the production value that it was told. So seeing just more interesting stories, having an, a Star Wars story that felt different and adult, it's like TV continues to evolve and surprise and continues to be a fun medium to, to talk about and consume. So maybe it's time to jump into the list. What do you think? Yeah, let's get it, man. A lot of, so let's start a lot of good stuff talk about let's start with me at my number 10 uh show that just a mainstay now in my top 10 every year the funniest show on television i think we both would agree what we do in the shadows season four um baby colin boy <laughs> just uh you know it's, it's great to have the, the group back together and in a lot of ways what we do in the shadows is kind of just falling into that year over year kind of the same thing there's no like real forward progress in the story and that was actually something after season three we were excited about like where's the show gonna go now you know Nadja's over in in the uk uh, nandor is traveling the world like they're all kind of separated how do colin they is dead yeah colin is dead now there's a baby that crawled out of his chest like how do we make make sense of all this what, what's the show gonna look like and they just brought everybody back together and the show is still a fucking hit and <laughs> Uh, you know, Matt Barry, Kayvon Novak, uh, Natasha D Dimitrio, and Harvey G uh, G Ian mm. um, yep. are just like uh, uh, one of the best, like, for some combinations on television. They're absolutely hilarious, whether it's trying to get baby Colin, who's aging rapidly, into this like private school and <laughs> using their <laughs> hypnotism too much on the, the, principal of the, the school where they hypnotize him like a thousand times or something like that or something ridiculous you um, stroke <laughs> um or like the wedding episode where nandor is uh marrying his uh, former wife uh one of his many former uh yep. spouses or even just all the stuff with the gin you know like having yeah, uh, the, the wishes all season just absolutely hilarious and of course matthew barry just sometimes that guy the way he just reads lines is just 
fun to listen to. So, oh, yeah. oh, and also all the night night club stuff with Nadia. Like, how could you not mm-hmm. just love this show? It's hilarious. Yeah, it, it's just like the ultimate hang on TV right yeah. now. You love all these people, and the show is just so funny in terms of like laugh out loud, laughs per minute type stuff. It's just so witty. It's just a great time, and FX and this creative team. They just really hit their stride with this, and they just keep making this show. It's been renewed for several more seasons already. Uh, just, just a blast. Yeah, it's honorable mention for me. Well, Dave, I see your number ten is the White Lotus. So, t- talk to us about why that's your number ten. Yeah, the White Lotus season two, number ten for me. We literally just talked about this show, just wrapped up on HBO. So, and all these shows we did review. So, check those out for our extended thoughts. YouTube.com/slash/nostalgiapod. But yeah, White Lotus Season 2, you know, I think there was a lot of uh, excitement about this show returning, a show that on its face didn't necessarily need to come back. felt very fulfilling in its one season, but, you know, when you're an Emmy darling, when your ratings hit, somehow miniseries can become anthology series pretty quickly, and thus that's what we got. And ultimately, I was just quite impressed with how Mike White was able to kind of tweak and subvert the commentary and themes that we came to expect from season one and give you a slightly different spin on the things he likes to point out with his shows via his characters and you know season one was super tight super satisfying had a bunch of great performances and season two like again just kind of went in slightly different direction but still had this really compelling ensemble cast really carried by Jennifer Coolidge, who really levels up in season two, as well as Aubrey Plaza just being amazing in a bigger role, um, more forward-facing, you know, ratings role, which is awesome. And yeah, it's also a travel show now, too. Just great to be hanging out in Sicily. So in short, White Lotus season two found a way to, I think, really stick the landing without just running back exactly what happened in season one. So I found it satisfying for many reasons. Again, check our review we just did. Yeah, the ability to start the season off with this, these bodies being found, knowing that there's probably some impending doom coming about for some of the characters or some something going on, and not having that even really be like the driving, compelling aspect of the show is just such a testament to um, the the ability of the show to create these storylines, these characters, these themes that really just suck you in from week to week and you know you have these these big name stars uh like you mentioned jennifer coolidge um imperioli uh you know aubrey plaza but then you get someone like megan fahey who comes in and it's just like a complete revelation and you know going toe-to-toe with them and kind of leaves as like this blows you away or, or the actress who played Lu- uh, lucia on the season you know another uh actress that just completely i think blew everybody away and it's like they're, the show just hums on all cylinders. Mike White, maybe the best writer of dialogue on TV right now. So really, uh, definitely really interesting uh, show. And one of my honorable mentions almost cracked my top 10, um, but it did not. We're going to move on to my number nine, though. Barry, season three. Did this make your list, Dave? It did not. Uh, it came out number 20 for me. Didn't quite connect with it as much as I wanted to, but still a lot of impressive craft and, and acting and fulfilling arcs in Barry season three, but why did it make your list? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think you summarized it well. It's been three years since we got Barry, uh second season of Barry and the show just continues to 
um surprise and impress me you know it it starts off as this completely like unique show about this um hitman who's trying to find connection and kind of balance this these two aspects of his life also dealing with trauma and i think season three the reason it it was so it, I, the reason i feel like it deserved to be on a list like this is because you kind of see the walls closing in around barry not only psychologically but you know in, in real life these uh people who are figuring out more and more who he actually is and what's going on and it's still able to be this show where you enjoy being with the characters even if you don't necessarily like the characters you get these amazing moments whether it's sally like freaking out on people or barry yelling at her or like the scene of of them following each other around the the tv set is it kind of like shows them moving all throughout it all these aspects and just seeing like all of these characters like kind of fall apart in so many ways and still have it be a show that i just was comp- i had i had to watch it when it came out every week i had to be uh there to watch uh to consume it as quickly as possible um just really compelling and you know hater i think is an under underrated performer he doesn't do a lot of um acting at this point beyond barry i think he's a little bit more involved on writing and producing side of things but i think he gives a great performance um you know uh Cousineau, played by obviously the legendary um boy now i'm forgetting his name henry winkler sorry uh just thinking about him yesterday as well but uh played by henry henry winkler i think has maybe the most like satisfying and funny arc of this season where he's kind of like forced by barry to like pursue acting which he's kind of like been resigned to do and ends up just kind of like falling forward into these like hit shows and these hit ideas and it's just really funny to see him like reluctantly like have all this success. Um, and Steven Root kind of gets this like interesting arc where he's like trying to get revenge on Barry and like choosing between does he pursue happiness in, in Mexico or go back to like fuck Barry over and just like surprising at week to week. And that's not even talking about Noho Hank, who I think might have had the most like emotional moment of the season uh, where you know he's finally finding some peace with his lover and it's ripped away from him for uh you know people who are hateful towards people who are gay and um you know the inability to accept that and you get some awesome set pieces awesome emotional moments nothing like barry on tv it deserves being a top 10 all right so barry was my number nine dave what's your number nine my number nine is Euphoria Season 2, HBO. Beginning of the year show. Uh, the biggest show of the beginning of the year, for sure. Massive ratings hit for HBO. Massive zeitgeist show, right? I think across generations, across ages, it seems to really connect with a lot of people, especially young people. But Euphoria really like leveled up this year with Season 2. I think the filmmaking side of things immediately stands out incredibly impressive uh whether it's the visuals whether it's the prescient soundtrack whether it's i think the more intriguing things towards the end of the season where the form of the season is a bit more abstract specifically with Maud Apatow's character Lexi her play mm-hmm. presenting 
the characters with kind of a recap of their lives on the show, but also doubling as a comment acknowledgement of what people say about the series Euphoria in real life, what people say about Sam Levinson. This is something he has done before in Malcolm and Marie. So it's on one hand, I think meta interesting that he continues to be this kind of voice, but overall I was quite impressed with the filmmaking. Um, And then of course people know there's just this litany of really amazing, talented young actors on this show. People know Zendaya, two-time Emmy winner for this series already. Not that it's the most fun to stick with Rue when she's going through it and at her lowest, but it's an amazing performance. And then I think it was a really strong season for Sydney Sweeney, who definitely had a lot more to do as Cassie this time around. Uh, Jacob Elordi still does the things he does. He's really hard to look away from. And of course, really impressive newcomer uh, performances from Minka Kelly, as well as Dominic Fike, most unexpectedly of all. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even someone who probably doesn't get as much to do as I'd like in season two, like Alexa Demi. I mean, Maddie still has like one of the best memes, one of the best lines of the show, the bitch, you better be joking. It's still <laughs> perfect. Perfect line reading, you know? So I, I think just week to week, Euphoria was a really uh, fun thing to be with, and a big part of that, too, I think, was... Uh, more more stuff to do for Angus Cloud's Fez as well, which was a fan favorite in season one. It really doubled down on Fez in season two, I think, to great effect. So overall, I really loved just about everything with season two of Euphoria. Yeah, Euphoria came in at number seven for me. Um, and I think you laid out all the reasons really well. Just Sam Levinson's ability to give something compelling and unpredictable week to week. The format of the episodes while having like the cold opens obviously was... Uh, a bit of a, a running through line from season one, you never really knew what to expect, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, stands still like a hummingbird where you get Zendaya having this, um, this withdrawal rage episode. That's basically like a chase episode by the end of it, or you get the, uh, the final episode, like you mentioned, where you have uh, the, the play format, but then you also have like the, the shootout with Fez and uh, his brother. That's true. Um, ashtray r.i.p um and and just seeing the way that all the characters who, who get some some time to to vent a little bit you know like jacob alordi his character nate even though still pretty despicable with everything with cal and, and the, the build out of cal's flashback that you get in this episode you uh you start to understand him more and uh, i think empathize a little bit more even though he's still a very toxic person um, the only like drawback of the show would be that there's just too many good people in, on this and too many compelling characters that don't get enough time. And obviously there's been some behind the scenes drama with Levinson, some of the actors, notably Barbie uh, Ferrara, who I believe is not yeah. coming back for the next season. So Correct. some, uh, you know, so, some drawbacks there, but this is one of the most compelling shows on TV. And if you're not watching it and you, you, you like stylistic shows, you like character, you like just, hanging in an unrealistic high school world this yeah. is it it's so much more than teen drama you know it's it's really something absolutely and, uh, yeah so not sure when it'll be back just yet obviously everyone in the show is quite busy with their careers but when it is back we know it'll be huge and i'm sure it'll be great so that was uh dave's number nine my number seven euphoria let's move on to my number eight which is Pachinko. Dave, did this come in on your list at all? Oh, yeah, man. Pachinko, number four for me. Apple TV Top five. Plus, pulling up. 
well, Dave, then I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the floor. Tell me what about Pachinko made this a top five show for you this year? Yeah, and I think like like we've been saying, really impressive, really strong, really top heavy year with TV in 2022. So you can make a case for a lot of shows at the top, but I really did not want to ding Pachinko too much just because I was so so impressed with this show, and I think this is a show that people who knew about it were really interested, intrigued in as a high-profile, high-budget adaptation of a well-known novel, but the execution of Pachinko just really blew me away. I think it's probably, like, the overall, like, the grandest filmmaking on TV we got mm-hmm. in 2022. Just the ability of this series to tell this multi-layered, multi-timeline, past-present form of storytelling in several incredibly realized worlds, whether we're, you know, in, in the past in Korea, whether we're in modern day Japan, wherever it is, everything feels so real, so alive because the production design is just absolutely impeccable, absolutely at like full, you know, filmmaking might. And on top of that, when you have characters across timelines, you know, their young self, their present self, their old self, whatever it is, the writing on this show is so strong that the characterization of these characters it's just so so rich and you're so invested with these characters and you really get to know them and understand their journey and it lends to multiple great performances for the same character in in the one series which obviously is no small feat and obviously i think the the big highlight of this show if you had to pick one thing out would be the episode seven uh flashback episode where we experience the uh, kanto earthquake in all its terror uh, that was probably the most you know like mind blowing thing we saw, but I think by and large, just about every like storyline, every plot on this show really came together by the end and felt incredibly satisfying. Just because in the richness of all these plots, just was really paid off by the end. So overall, I was just really impressed. With, I think how well like the grandness of Pachinko was executed on, and I really can't wait for season two, which we expect in twenty twenty four. Yeah, I, I, that that episode seven, the Great Cantu Earthquake episode, is just one of the most singular episodes of television uh, of this year, and I, I think it has to be in any place at least top five uh, episodes, if not like top three, probably for for me. Um, and and you get so many great performances throughout this, right? I mean, uh, Kim Soon Ha played by three different actors, depending on which part of the timeline that you're in but you have you knew you jung playing her in uh as the older version but then kim mi min ha is just like amazing carrying such a emotional weight but like internal strength throughout her her story arc and really comes across especially as you see her like meeting her um brother-in-law and sister-in-law and like building a life um in in, in japan at that time it's just uh really amazing um and, you know, I, I think back to, like, some of the moments that stood out to me most. There's that scene um, in modern time where uh, the the grandson of um, Solomon, Kim Han, yeah, Sol- Solomon, Solomon, is at the uh, the table with his company trying to get the, the older lady to sell her, her home. And she just is unwilling to. And, like, that, like, tension and, like, her drawing on her own history to remind him of his history and like tying that into the themes of the show. It's just such a powerful and like poignant moment that it's hard to like pick out a moment of the show that like, I think defines what the show is about better. You know, these two generations facing each other, but being forced to like recognize like 
how they influence each other. It's just really, really well done. Don't know the difference between the rice, you dumb idiots. <laughs> but I think yeah. also, like, this show really communicates incredibly well to non-Korean, uh, non-Japanese speakers. Do I think, really impressive intentionality with the way its subtitles are uh-huh. presented to us, where they're color-coded depending yes. on which language it is, down to the individual word. That way, when a character switches up what language they are using in that context, the gravity of that choice and the meaning of that between the characters is communicated to someone who doesn't know the language. And like, it's just a specific thing that you don't encounter very often, but it just flows right into just the storytelling, uh, you know, thoughtfulness that Pachinko has. So, yeah, it's going to be a long wait. They're just starting production on season one, uh, beginning of next year, but really looking forward to seeing what's next just because I thought this really was, they really nailed it. You know, well, Pachinko is my number eight. Dave's number four. Let's keep it moving. So, Dave, what was your number eight show of the year? Number eight for me, HBO. Happy Wayne Jenkins Day, motherfucker. <laughs> we own the city. Absolute blast. We knew we were probably going to like it. David Simon, George Pelicanos, HBO, starring John Bernthal. Sounds pretty good. Turns out it was an absolute blast. Another journey into the story of institutional rot and the failures of bureaucracy and of course police corruption as well that you expect from simon's storytelling and it just really lands and obviously you have this fireball whirlwind central performance from john berthal as wayne jenkins but even the more understated supporting characters are all really effective in it even as you watch the plot go in a direction you probably expect it just leaves you feeling absolutely terrible because these themes are just really uh present and not uplifting and stuck in the mud and all that just it it obviously stinks and uh yeah great show pretty economical at only six episodes uh really stood out for me in that really busy spring we just had yeah so we own the city was my number six episode of the year just uh like you said absolutely amazing uh telling of the police corruption of the gun trace task force uh obviously anchored by the Brinthal performance uh as wayne jenkins but man there's so many performances in this that are worth um like noting jamie hector is sean salter probably the most tragic figure in this whole story um is just kind of this like emotional like uh barometer throughout the show you have um one me musaku as nicole Steele, who i think really is this like very like straight like straight laced and like just like uh avatar of the absolutely disgust that a lot of people felt towards this but having all these different layers of the story kind of weaved together so seamlessly something that obviously we know simon and pelicanos can do from their past shows but you see someone like delaney williams as uh the police commissioner kevin davis just kind of like uh giving this like performance of like cover your ass but also kind of like turning a a blind eye to a lot of it. it's really um really just impressive how they did it all and uh can't say enough about this team's ability to tell stories on so many levels and we didn't even mention like you get an amazing like episode where you you get bernthal as wayne jenkins after the the freddie gray riots and everything it's just really really impressive yeah Totally. Uh, I think it's something that probably deserves more eyeballs than I ended up getting, given it came out in a busy time. But yeah, unsurprisingly, Simon Pelicanos know what they're doing. It was it was a n- another banger from them. 
Uh, so Dave, so far we've done your our, our 10, 9, and 8. Is that correct? My number 7 is Euphoria, which was your number, number 9. nine. So yeah. we're, I think we're on to your number 7. My number 7 is Atlanta. FX. Ah, my number 2 of the year. Yeah, and I think you can make a case for Atlanta being really anywhere in the top 10. We got season 3 and season 4 this year after the series was away for over 4 years. Long wait, then it comes back, and now it's gone forever. Fourth season, final season, and yet, I think season three, a lot of talk at the time, more up and down, more antho- uh, anthology, I guess you could say. You know, the, the main cast is only in like half the series. It, it is quite stark, quite noticeable, and of course, we're in a new place, we're in Europe, but still some things to enjoy about that season. But then when you get season four, go back to Atlanta, really stick with the core cast more or less and man it's just a really i think effective way to end a landmark series where you have this finale that doesn't give you that expected like plot closure and plot convenience and yet it still finds a way to make you feel good and be happy about these characters and be happy about this journey and miss the show and another series of just banger Atlanta episodes, classic banger, banger Atlanta stuff happens in season four. So yeah, uh, sucks to see it's gone, but this hugely successful cast and creative team we know will give us more soon. Yeah, it's been number two show of the year because even though season three is more up and down, I still give them so much credit for kind of taking the swings that they did in that season. You know, Atlanta has always been about uh, more than just kind of following these characters around, they're trying to say something about the black experience in America. And, you know, whether it's uh, an episode like the big paycheck where, you know, the reparations are being paid from white people to uh, the ans- to black people whose ancestors were enslaved by their ancestors. And uh, just the whole like dynamic of that is really good. Um, you get the episode where, um like Liam Neeson makes a cameo which is just absolutely like ridiculous but also like the fact that he's actually like acknowledging the this like moment he had is just like mind-blowing to me um and and the episodes that you do get with the characters in that season whether it's Earn going to therapy or something like that is just really tantalizing and exciting um but then season four, I mean, like you said, this could be the best episode of maybe one of the uh, one of the best shows of you know, our, our lifetimes at this point. And there's so many, so many good episodes and, and good moments. Uh, what, what would you say is your favorite episode of this season? season yeah, I, I think it's hard to say because there's so many great ones. But uh, what's it? Crank uh, Dak Killer, Snipe Punch. <laughs> yeah. Really, the whole back half I really loved. Uh, yeah, the goof who sat by the door was an amazing, like, one-off concept yeah. and executed on so well. The finale, of course, is really great. Uh, yeah, there's just so much, so much like classic Atlanta isms mm-hmm. in this season. But like the character work and the acting work is like the best it's ever been, which really makes it feel like a fulfilling and satisfying journey for the series and natural ending. Completely agree, and the the series finale being so Atlanta, not and not being like, oh, I'm gonna give you that closure moment, but just like they're all just hanging out, they're all just doing their thing. Really, uh, really amazing season overall, and man, there's nothing like it. Really gonna miss this show on our screens, but like you said, definitely more to come from from these people. Um, let's keep it cruising though. What's uh, what's next on your list? 
Number six for me, Pat. What did I sacrifice? Peace. Mm. Man. I, I, Andor. I can't believe it's this low for you. I expected this to be top five for sure. Yeah, uh, you could make the case for sure. I certainly would be happy to, but I have it at six for me. Andor on Disney Plus, just an absolute miracle. I really can't believe it's as good as it is. It's as intelligent as it is. But then you think about it, it's like, oh, Tony Gilroy made this. Maybe it makes some sense. It's Star Wars for adults, by adults, and I think just the economy of the writing and the execution of the the plots and, and the production values, like it just it's just so sophisticated in a way you don't really get from mainstream blockbuster like franchise entertainment, uh, certainly with any regularity. And there's so, so many like notable moments between the prison heist with Andy Circus or prison escape with Andy Circus, the everything that happens uh, with Luthen towards the end there when he has his amazing you know, thesis bearing speech on the, the bridge there in the depths Amazing of course. So fucking good. Uh, brief cameos with Saw Gerrera, very effective. Really coloring in all these supporting characters for you that you have not even a whole lot of time with, but like everything feels so richly characterized. And finding a way, I think, for you to care about a story that's set in a familiar time in the Star Wars timeline. There's nothing super surprising about it it's just the high level of the execution that just really was beyond my wildest expectations yeah tony gilroy and and his team had a specific uh idea of what they wanted to make and they pretty much said like we're making it or we're walking away and you know aside from a few like i think actors that they had to take on based on their experience of playing other actors in the past like genevieve o'reilly as mon mothma um they really got to make the show that they wanted and uh, adult star wars show uh yes please this is uh amazing um it's this three different arcs throughout the season um and uh or is it four different arcs throughout the season four uh yeah was it four three episode arcs yes and um just amazing to see them touch on so many different aspects of this world um you know they they built beautiful concepts whether it's the the jail where they electrocute you from the floor yeah. like amazing mm-hmm. idea um also like amazing prison break episode and just that oh, whole yeah. arc andy circus just absolutely kills it can't um, swim I, <laughs> I love the all the stuff with mon mothma and like how far is she willing to go to continue like sacrificing and, and continuing to work towards this ultimate good and it really doesn't make you feel like great about a lot of these characters a lot of them are morally great right from the beginning cassian kills two people that he probably didn't actually have to murk but he does and it's uh it it just kind of makes you realize that in order to actually achieve the rebellion you have to get your hands dirty you have to do some of these things you get amazing monologues like you mentioned from selling scars guard fiona shaw and just amazing one lines like the like cassian's final line yep. in the show like either kill me or or take me with you amazing just like so simple yeah so perfect. moving can't wait for season two probably gonna destroy us right oh i think so we're gonna lose some people but that's i think what speaks to the characterization the strength of the writing with this that you're so invested with this array of characters this array of an ensemble uh, already so yeah i really can't wait for that in two years it's gonna be awesome well dave we've gotten through each of our top six we're into our top fives now and my top five you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the show how there were very few shows this year that really just like 
jumped out and surprised us and, and really like grabbed the, the zeitgeist. But the bear is one that completely did this. And one of the most, I think, uh, surprising and fun and just overall um, satisfying experience that I had watching television was sitting with this short eight episode arc with uh, Carm and all of the, the crew here at the, the Italian beef shop down in Chicago. Where did this fall on your list? Number five for me as well. I think that's ah. exactly right. Just a, one of the really few out of nowhere surprises. Hats off to FX for this one. Really snuck up on us and I think was another really rich, layered, engaging 30-minute series. Yeah, and you know, I, I think you get a couple of really, really strong performances uh, from Jeremy Allen White obviously um but a, a couple of other ones from other people in, in the crew and um mm -hmm. obviously a great burnthal a cameo um who are the the characters that you liked the most this season well i thought Edmund moss baccarat and right. io debris those two along with jeremy allen white those three performances really all sync up and i think really make the bear shine as a series and like their relationships and the ups and downs and like the fact that like it's a show that's it's not really about like is this restaurant gonna succeed it's about these actual people and what they're going through in their lives through the, the frame of they all work at this small restaurant and like man i think it just it, it all really sings and Evan Moss baccarat gets to really ball out as uh you know the the cousin that wasn't so uh i think a big part of it is that the show came out of nowhere but honestly like i have a lot of faith that season two will be will be good even though we'll have higher expectations this time around yeah man uh i have a lot of expectations for this and i gotta say like i i, I didn't feel uh more stressed out watching television than i did the episode where um <laughs> the penultimate episode review where it's just this one this oneer uh one shot where it's just these uh, orders coming in from the internet over and over and uh everybody just starts freaking out more and more and it is uh just incredibly made and uh, can't recommend it enough. A short show to catch up on if you're uh, looking for something mm. a little bit more lighthearted. And also, like, shout out Hiro Mirai, who we've now talked about twice. And uh, I think his collaboration with FX as a, a producer and, and creator is. Yeah. Uh, Actually, didn't he also do Barry, too? Oh, you know what? You're Summer right. Barry? Third time. Yeah, three times this year. What, what, what a year it. for Hiro. What a year for Hiro. Um, so, Dave, my number four was Andor. What's what's your number four? My number four was Pachinko. All right. So we're on to our top three of the year. Uh, my number three from this year. Uh, technically, technically from this year. Mm. Station Eleven. And, man, uh, what a fucking delight this show was, huh? Yeah, totally. I think another show that kind of snuck up on us came out, you know, basically half and half between the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022. So don't forget about it, though, because I feel like another show that could use more eyes because, yeah, the obvious comparison <laughs> would be The Leftovers. It's a show from Patrick Somerville. Makes sense. There's some DNA there. But just what Stage 11 cares about and prioritizes in storytelling is both really admirable, but also really hard to pull off. But that's what Station Eleven does. You know, it's a show that, on its face, could just be about this this apocalypse, this global pandemic that wipes out ninety percent of the world, and we're just gonna hang out with those survivors. But like, it's not actually about like the sci-fi elements of the world building. It's 
really just about these characters and these very small, very specific personal journeys these people are going on. Because the writing is so strong, performances match that. Uh, I think it really starts to shine and fly by the end and it has a very satisfying uh, conclusion. Just a really miraculous miniseries that for a year that was so loaded with contenders for the top of a top 10 list, I think Station Eleven really stuck with me from the beginning of the year, and that's why I have it so high at number three. Yeah, it's uh, it's just an amazing uh, emotional story, and you get such great performances from a great child performance from Matilda Waller as mm-hmm. young Kirsten, um, and the way her and Himesh Patel as as Jeevan interact, and he reluctantly becomes her caretaker, as, you know, during the apocalypse is just so wonderful to watch and especially his relationship with his brother, uh, Frank, um, and and their kind of like dynamic is, you know, they're navigating what this world is like now. Um, So many moments from these episodes that stand out, you know, whether it's the one where uh, David Wilmot's Clark kind of like becomes the leader of this airport where people have basically like quarantined as as a result of not being able to get on flights uh, while the pandemic is uh, just taking people out very quickly um even the first episode where you know you have um arthur die on stage and that kind of like propels uh jeevan to walk kirsten back to his apartment and uh navigate all these like things as the world's starting to end just like a truly memorable and emotional show that i think is surprising and never really is as straightforward as as you think it's going to be and leaves you just with so many thoughts and and I think speaks to the the times now, obviously living through the COVID-19 pandemic, it just had so many lessons about and thoughts on connection and what it means to kind of live through something like this. Can't recommend it enough. And hopefully it's a show people continue to find because it's, uh, it's truly, uh, I think any other year could have been our number ones. Um, Dave, my number two was Atlanta. And so I'm wondering what's your number two for this year? My number two is Industry, HBO ah, slash BBC. Nice this choice. Make, I'm surprised this didn't make your list. You really like this one, too. I did really like this one. Um, you know, it, it, the, my number 10 spot was was very, very tough to decide. And I ultimately yep. went, went with Shadows, but having a little bit of regret, even as we're doing this list. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like like we said, there's a very, very compelling top 15, top 20 in 2022. Mm-hmm. It was that good. Uh, but yeah, for me, industry, I just found it so, so satisfying, so fun, so stressful, so, so, all, so all the things it, it really made me feel all the <laughs> things. And I was so happy that the show really seemed to take a step forward, take a creative leap with season two after season one was one of those big surprises two years ago in terms of coming out of nowhere and finding a way to compel people with the world of high finance, a world that's very abstract and unusual to the average person, but by you know, in a sense, combining succession and euphoria to be blunt, it, uh, I think, finds a way to really compel being set in uh, England. Obviously, I think is a big help in terms of just kind of spicing up what's going on, <laughs> you know, yep. whether it's hearing English slang or just, you know, the stuff they do over there. Nice touch for me. But uh, Jay Duplass's introduction in season two as a new character, uh, Bloom, this, you know, big time investor guy, uh, really important energy, I think really effective engine of a lot of the uh, narrative threads this season. 
and his relationship with Harper is, I think, really central to why season two works so well. Myala Harold, really great once again as Harper. Marissa Bella, though, I think really shines, probably steals the season as Yaz this year, as Yaz starts yeah. to take uh, like a different path in her career at the firm. Um, you get more Rishi this year and his one-liners. His line readings are just so awesome, so funny. All that stuff, right? As you know, the, the big swinging dick on the desk, basically. <laughs> and then uh, Eric as well. You know, I, I think that the journey Eric goes on is someone who's perhaps being put out to pasture in terms of the finance, finance world. And then he realizes he actually does have a, a move left to play, a, you know, chess piece to uh, assign. And how that affects Harper, I think, is really shocking, but also incredibly effective, right? And also, like, it just it gives you drugs, it gives you sex, it gives you, gives you a Everything. lot of stuff. I, I really think it's an absolute blast. And uh, like, I think the best example of the show, though, is, like, the fact that you're able to watch Harper execute this really in the weeds, like trade with, you know, millions and millions of dollars while all the characters around her at work are watching her do it. The fact that that's ratcheted up to 11, the tension is so high and you're so stressed about what's happening and whether Harper is going to win or completely lose. The fact that you don't need to know the detail of that financial information, I think just speaks to how well they communicate their themes with this show and that's why it's actually so broadly appealing so yeah big fan of industry really can't wait for it to come back yeah it probably shouldn't be my list in retrospect um it's hard to to fit everything into these lists that i, I want to <laughs> talk about but man there are so many amazing moments uh i think he has a storyline um probably was my, my favorite but also like some of the star- stuff with harper and her brother um yes. kind of that, yeah. that that dynamic playing out with her her relationship with Eric and then with uh, with Bloom, just really interesting. And you got to love all the stuff just on the floor, right? When they're trying to like cut these deals quickly. It's the and best. You don't understand a lot of even what they're saying a lot of the time or like what numbers they're throwing out, but you just feel the tension and it's it's so well made. It's really impressive. So uh, right. a worthy choice. At, 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 I'm surprised it's that high, especially given the fact I know you're like the Star Wars guy for the pod and I, I just know how much you love Andor, but <laughs> man, uh, definitely worthy. But I think that means, Dave, that we have the same number one, if I had to guess. Was there any doubt about the Better best Call show Saul. of the year? Better Call Saul, season six, final season. Isn't this no, one there of those, was no doubt. This is one of those like, premiere shows though that has always kind of been like overlooked in a sense like it's it's amazing never been my number one before so yeah it has been overlooked in a sense yeah and it has never like been awarded the way that it probably should have at things i mean ria seahorn was just finally nominated for her performance kim um but this season uh split up into two distinct parts but um this this final season season six i think gives each character a satisfying goodbye and to wrap up this way while also pulling in aspects of breaking bad and making it all feel so earned and satisfying a, a complete complete masterpiece uh from uh gilligan team i mean what else mm. is there to say no i think that's exactly right and like there was so much theorizing that everyone did we did as well about what's going to happen to jimmy what's going to happen to kim what's going to happen to lalo and everyone else and of course, no one guessed it right, but the fact that what we did get, not only did it su- surprise in a certain sense, but it was so satisfying, so emotionally resonant. And I think just the journey that we went on with Saul from the humble beginnings of the Breaking Bad spinoff 
prequel being about Saul Goodman of all people, the journey we ended up going on with this show is just so satisfying. And we know how good the filmmaking has been. We know how great the writing has been, but I think season six more than anything was about just how effective the, the plotting was and the payoff was, you know, it was the journey felt super, super real and super earned, you know, with these moments, everything with Kim and Jimmy at the end with Jimmy making the decision he makes to basically save Kim, you know, like all the way all that works. And of course the lead up to all this stuff too, when everything that happens with Howard becomes so tragic after he was a character you mm-hmm. hated for so many seasons earlier in the run of better call Saul, there's just so much about the show I love. And of course, Tony Dalton, oh, yeah. you know, this wasn't the best Tony Dalton season, but Tony Dalton in the back half of Saul, just one of the great TV villains of recent times. You know, there's just, there's been so much with this show and it just ended in such a perfect grace note for Saul and Breaking Bad as well. Uh, can't, can't agree more. And, you know, this show has given us so many, like, great moments and, and, uh, episodes to kind of go back to and point to um and i just really love that in the end they brought it back to the the fight for the soul of jimmy mcgill is he gonna totally go to saul is he gonna kind of just uh fall into nothingness as gene tekovich um and he ended up being jimmy and giving him this moment to uh basically go out in his terms and accept responsibility in front of kim as like a mea culpa and, and kind of have them end with the finger guns just felt so poetic you get you get some more moments with aaron uh aaron paul and uh brian cranston you know some flashbacks to breaking bad moments and they they don't feel like fan servicey even though i think it would have been very easy to say that they felt earned and they felt like they added to what they were trying to say about the characters and and the saul story um yeah really impressed and man i mean we we barely even like have touched on like Jonathan Banks as as Mike and and his arc throughout the season, Gus, uh, you know, gets a moment where gets some humanity from him, and uh, it's just really impressive how they they pulled this all together. And not not even to mention, you get Carol Burnett playing a, a critical role in, oh, yeah. in bringing Jimmy down. So uh, the the poetic the full circle of a an older person kind of being the one to bring Saul Goodman down after he made his name off the Sandpiper case. Just yeah, amazing, really huh? so well done. So. Right. And, and lastly, just the fact that better call Saul, there is now an argument that you could easily justify that you prefer this series to breaking bad. Something that would have been so inconceivable not too long ago. Yeah. The fact that's actually an argument now just speaks to how great Saul is on its own. It's of course, it's not a standalone thing, but like, it was that satisfying. I think that effective and just like the 15 year journey of breaking bad and Saul has been just a true delight. So yeah, what a, what a way for it to end. I, you know, it was so great. I really can't believe how really how, how great of a send off it ended up being. Completely agree. Uh, why don't we recap our 10 through ones and then we'll talk about some honorable mentions. I'll go first. My number 10 is What We Do in the Shadows. My number 9, Barry. 8, Pachinko. 7, Euphoria. 6, We Own the City. 5, The Bear. 4, Andor. 3, Station 11. 2, Atlanta. And 1, Better Call Saul. Dave, what's yours? Yep, number 10, The White Lotus. Number 9, Euphoria. Number 8, We Own the City. Number 7, Atlanta. Number 6, Andor. Number 5, The Bear. Number 4, Pachinko. Number 3, Station 11. Number 2, Industry. And number 1, Better Call Saul. 
a great year, a stacked year, and that's why our honorable mentions are also quite compelling as well. Yeah, and for me, the the first one I wanted to mention was the rehearsal from Nathan Fielder. Um, outside of what we do in the shadows, probably the funniest show I watched this year. And uh, even though the final episode left me with some some mixed thoughts and feelings about it, I think overall it's a very singular show, and um, I, I really give it so much credit for being so unique and uh, thought provoking, and just really like impressive that they went to like such scale to kind of pull off this this experiment. Um, a couple others I want to shout out, um, House of the Dragon and Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, uh, as I mentioned at the top, probably my two most anticipated shows for this year, did not make my top 10, but were very close um, w- week to week, felt like I had to keep up with them and uh, very satisfying shows. Did they come close to your list? Uh, they did. I had House of the Dragon number 11, just missed, uh, still qu- really liked it quite a bit. I also have a lot of time for winning time happy to get yeah. season two next year that'll be great uh the dropout i think is easily the best of the uh real life you know dramatization series we got this year also tokyo vice a bit under remarked yes. upon i still quite liked it the boys season three for all mankind as well as shows you mentioned what we do in the shadows and barry and shout out hacks as well really really great yeah. year yeah, really, really deep TV year. Uh, I don't know if next year will be as deep, but maybe that'll give us some time for some surprises. We'll see. Um, I agree. Overall, if uh, let us know what you think were the best shows of this year. Hit us up at, at NostalgiaPod on Twitter. Hit the subscribe button on YouTube.com, YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. We'll catch you in 2023. Yeah.